Welcome to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast. Here we analyze politics, culture, technology, personal growth and development, and society at large through the lens of critical thinking and open-mindedness, not demagoguery and partisan hyperbole. I'm Dr. David Hopkins, Humanities Professor, your host and guide. So without further delay, let's get started. All right. Welcome, everybody. So glad you are here today. And, and as many of you know, I don't do guests for every single show, and I, and I haven't done a lot of them, uh, probably because I love to talk too much and I like the monologue piece of it. But uh, today we have a very special guest. I ran across Kelly Faylardo, and I was just blown away, actually, by her story. And before we get to Kelly and introducing her, let, let me just get some formalities out of the way. She is a five-time best-selling author. She is a TEDx speaker. She is a coach. And I even see she had a documentary uh, put out on her called Still Beautiful. And she just has an incredible story for us today. Uh, so without further delay, let's let's go ahead. And Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be on your show and, and, you know, engage with your listeners. Awesome. So and as I mentioned, I, I first saw you on TEDx and I don't know how many viewers, but you had a bunch of them that have seen this. And, you know, I think the best place for an introduction, let first let you just introduce yourself and maybe just tell everybody a little bit, little bit about your incredible story. Well, um, you know, I sometimes I don't even know where to start. <laughs> 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 but you know, basically, when I was two years old, um, you know, we lived on a farm at the time, and my cousins were burning singles from the old barn roof, and um, I was by the fire, and a spark came out and landed on my dress. Oh. It exploded into flames, and I ended up getting burnt about 75% to my body. Wow. And so I had to spend four months in the hospital. Every two days, I'd be in the operating room. And then every two years until I was 20, I'd have to go back for more surgeries because they needed me to grow so that they'd have more skin to work with. And so every two years, I'd be back in the hospital spending a month of my summer holidays in the hospital. And wow. I don't know if you remember being a, you know, a kid, David, but the last thing you want to do is spend your summer holidays in the hospital. Oh, yeah. Well, let alone just even uh, touching a hot stove for half a second can sense the pain. I, I can't even imagine the pain that that must have. I mean, that that day, that event, do you even do you like recall? I mean, you were only two, so maybe it's hard to even recollect the event, but. But that yeah. just had to be mind blowing that it happened so quickly from a spark from just a fire like that. That's, that's totally. crazy. Well, I don't remember the accident, but I do remember my surgeries when I was about five years old and up. So once I was turned five, that's when I, I remember kindergarten and I remember, you know, having to be in the hospital and I remember the pain of all those surgeries, but right. I remember the actual accident. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. So, so what was that like then? I mean, you start recollecting it at five and then obviously you start getting into school age. And so talk a little bit about what and what that was like when you were in school. 
Well, you know, I think it's just like everybody, you know, the, the teasing and the bullying, all of that comes out, being called names. And I remember when I was in grade five and I walked past my teacher's desk. And I saw a picture someone had drawn of me, and it was a circle with scribbles all over it, and it said scarfes. Wow. And I knew then that, you know, that the, that's what the kids were calling me. And huh. I was half deaf, so I didn't hear a lot of the bullying, but I knew it was happening. And I, yeah, so my whole, like, school years, well, actually, mostly just elementary and junior high, I think by high school, you know, then people know me, and, and it wasn't. It wasn't so bad in high school, but when I got into high school, I wanted a boyfriend, and of right. course, nobody wants to kiss me because I'm the ugly girl. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, as I'm sitting here looking at you now, it looks like a lot of the surgery. You look really, you look well now. So they they were able to get rid of all most of it. How? I mean, was it really severe while you were going through these? Yeah, like my whole chest is covered in scars all the way around mm -hmm. my back, both my arms, you know, my face. Like it's really faded over the years. So my scars right. aren't as bad as they were as when I was in school. Sure. And then my ears deformed and then my legs, you know, scarring on my legs. But yeah. Um, yeah, so no, a lot of the surgeries, you know, like at one point my mouth, it wouldn't open and close because the scarring was so bad on my lips that it held my lips. My mouth open. So I, oh when my. I was about uh, five years old, they took a piece of skin from my stomach and they put that on my chin so that my mouth could open and close. So yeah. I've, I've had other surgeries. Um, they weren't sure if I would grow breath. So what they did is they took skin from both sides of my right leg and they put that where my breast would be because my doctor thought, well, if there's natural skin there, then maybe she'll still be able to grow breath. Right, right. I actually didn't grow them until I got pregnant with my daughter. Wow. That was when I finally actually grew breasts. Huh. But that wasn't until I was like 32 years old. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So the bullying, I mean, kids can just be cruel when they're really young. I mean, they, it, it it's terrible. Did, would you say, were you, were you suffering severely from depression from an early age or was it? I mean, I mean, explain a little bit about your your mentality as as you got to as you began to grow up and and mature. Well, you know, it's it's kind of interesting because I was very shy, so I was definitely the very shy girl. I don't mm -hmm. think I was suffering from depression, yeah, or anxiety. I don't. I think I just got really upset that people were staring at me all the time. Right. And I think that bothered me more than anything, and so. You know, I had to learn how to cope with all the staring that people were doing. And, and that, that really bothered me because I just wanted to be beautiful. Right. Right. And I knew that my scars were not going away because every two years my doctor would do surgeries and they weren't, they weren't going away. And I remember when I was uh, probably about 15 or 16 and I was praying to God and I said, dear God, please don't make me wake up in the morning. But wow. I, if I have to, can I at least be scarless so I can be pretty like all the other girls? Mm. Thank you. Amen. And of course, I woke up and of course, the scars were still there. And I was devastated because my doctor is trying to take my scars away. God wasn't taking my scars away. I was going to be the ugly girl forever. And I remember wow. being 18 and thinking, why am I living? Like I got burnt in 
as a two-year-old back in 1968 to 75% of my body, like, there's no way I should have lived through that. Right. No way. Right? And so uh. I wanted to know, like, what is it? Like, why am I alive? Like, what is my purpose? And um, I remember getting hypnotized because I wanted to figure out what is it? Why did I live? And apparently, my mom was telling me that at one point, I did die at one point. And they had to do uh. a code on me and um in the hospital wow and so i went back to that day to when i they you know they had to do the code on me <clears throat> and i all i could see was my myself above my body with my little with a little gray fuzzy thing and i believe that to be my god and we we're having a conversation about why i should live and we could see all the doctors and nurses wa- working around me and everything. And it's like, well, why? Why should I live? And he said to me, you're too young to die. Hmm. It's your choice, but you're too young. You're too young to die. Wow. And I remember talking about, like, one of the reasons I needed to live was for my grandpa and for my sister. And when my grandpa passed away, I... I felt like I had lost my purpose. Um, nothing has happened to my sister, so I'm not sure <laughs> what's going on with that. <laughs> right, right. But, um, but yeah, but I said, okay, fine, I'll live. And then that's when everything came back to life, and yeah. And so, and that was at 18 when you went under, and and, and that was yeah. pulled out via hypnosis. Incredible. Mm-hmm. And. And so from that moment forward, what was your, I mean, at 18, I assume you're probably graduated high school at that point. Uh, did, yeah, well, I did. So, so what was the, what was the next step for you? Well, definitely, you know, went to high school, got a job and everything. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's really fascinating because now I'm a motivational speaker, but yeah. when I look back at my life when I was a teenager, <clears throat> I was also in 4-H and we rode horses and, and when you're in 4-H, you have to do a, a speech and you have to do a, a public speaking competition. And so I actually won my very first speech ever. Wow, that and is, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, and I think I was about 14 at the time, 14, 15. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of cool because the universe was pointing me in the direction of being a speaker back when I was like 14, 15 years old. Sure. And so... But I didn't, I didn't know why, right? Um, so anyways, I did end up meeting a man that became my husband at the time. Uh-huh. And, um, then I went through a phase where, um, I wanted to know if I could have kids because I didn't think I could have kids because I felt because of the scarring that I had that I wouldn't be able to have kids. And right. so I met um, I met another burn survivor at a burn conference, and she's from San Diego. And she said to me, Kelly, why don't you think you can have kids? I said, I don't know. I just don't think I can. I don't know any burn survivors that have kids. And she goes, well, I have two daughters. And this girl over here has three kids. And this girl has kids. And I'm like, why don't you think you can have kids? And huh. it, I, it just never dawned on me that I could have kids. So... I did end up getting pregnant and I really wanted a daughter Mm -hmm. because I wanted to know what would I look like without scars, Mm. right? Because I didn't Mm. know what I would look like without scars. 
Sure. I was really hoping that if I had a daughter, she might look like me, and then I might know what I would look like without scars. Incredible. Yeah. So oh. we did <clears throat> did have a daughter. Uh huh. And you know, I still remember my former husband saying to me, "Well, she's not going to look like you. She's going to look like me." <laughs> not gonna have of course. Scars. <laughs> and uh but she ended up having freckles like him so um yeah so I had a daughter okay. and then I got pregnant a second time about a year and a half later and my my ex-husband didn't want another child and so when I was five months pregnant I remember saying to myself it's okay if you don't make it because he doesn't want you mm. and sure enough two months later I ended up losing her and so I Gosh. had tremendous guilt that I lost the baby because I thought it was my fault that I lost her. Uh. And I was so happy when the doctor wanted to do an autopsy so we could figure out what happened to her because I was beating myself up. Sure. And sure. Um, we found out that what happened is her umbilical cord grew shut instead of growing open. Mm. And so she wasn't getting any nutrients from me and that's how she died. Wow. And then, um, yeah, so it was devastating because, you know, I blamed myself. Yeah. Uh, and then about a year and a half later, I got pregnant again. This time, I got pregnant with twins. Oh, my. Oh, <laughs> my. Twin boys. You don't so, ever do anything normal, do you? You got No, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so when I got pregnant with the twins, I knew that they were going to be in my life. I knew that I wasn't going to lose them because I believed that, you know, losing her was my gift because if we would have had her, we would have had just the two girls. Right. And instead now we were bringing these two boys into the world. And so, nice. yeah, so it's been pretty incredible having, you know, a daughter and, and the two boys, the twins. So Right. Right. So, so you, you're almost, you're, you're living a normal life at this point, right? So, so that little vision that from hypnosis that you had that you to live and, and in 14, you're have this little premonition, you, you show skill at being able to speak. So, so how do you find at, at what point along this journey did you take this really deep tragedy and turn it into basically a, a career, a very successful career? So, so how, how did you get to that spot? Well, you know, I am a real big believer and everything happens for a reason. And so I went to a woman's networking event. Mm -hmm. You know how, David, you walk into a room and you just know you got to know that one person. Like you see right. somebody and you're like, oh, my God, I got to know that person. Yeah. Well, that's who Tremaine was for me. Okay. I saw her and she saw me and we were just like instantly glued to each other. And I remember having a big talk with her. And I, at that point. Um, my husband had got laid off from his job and he told me it was time for me to step up to the plate. The twins were only like four years old at that time. And I said, okay, fine, watch me. I had a full-time job at the time. Plus I also had a scrapbooking business. And at this scrapbooking business, it was a mobile store. And so I would go around and I would teach people how to scrapbook and sell mm -hmm. supplies. But it was costing us a ton of money and it wasn't making us any money. So anyways, I had that business plus a full-time job. So when I met Charmaine at this woman's event, she said to me, Kelly, you need to sell that business you're in and you need to be a speaker. 
And I said, I'm a burn survivor. So what? And she said, no, people will be so inspired by your story. Now, at that point in my life, I was in a toxic marriage. I was contemplating divorce. We were broke. We were like almost bankrupt. We had almost lost our house. I was, you know, in a dead end job I hated. I had a business that was just costing a shitload of money and was bankrupting us. And so I did not see my life as being inspiring. And so when I went home that night to tell my husband that I was going to be a speaker, he said to me, well, how are you going to do that? And who's going to listen to you? Because again, all he could see was all the negative stuff that was going on in my life. He couldn't see that I was successful. He couldn't see that I had any kind of power. He didn't see anything like that. All he saw was that we were drowning and we weren't getting anywhere. And I said, I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And so sure enough, Tremaine found a way for her and I to get onto a stage and we did an Ellen show. Okay. She's Ellen and she does the dance and goes up to the stage and does the chair thing, you know, and all that and Uh announces that I'm her guest and I go up and, and then, um, she starts asking me questions. And so, um, she asked me this question about my dad and, and I'm crying and I see the audience crying and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, why is everybody crying? And I'm looking around on the stage, right? And I'm like, Like, did somebody fall and hurt themselves? Like, why is everybody crying? And I heard that little voice in my head say, they're crying at your story. And then she asked me another question. And this time, everybody's laughing. And and, and I'm thinking, and I'm looking again on the stage. And I'm looking all around me. And I'm like, why is everybody laughing? Like, does somebody have a clown nose on or something? Like, what is going on? And I hear that little voice say to me, they're laughing at your story. It's funny. It's amazing. And I had no idea that I could have that kind of impact on people. I had no idea. And people were coming up to me afterwards and they're saying, Cal, like, you need to be a speaker. And I'm like, no, I'm just a burn survivor. So what? And they're like, no, you need to be a speaker. And so the next day, there was a lady speaking and she was mesmerizing. Like, I just couldn't stop staring at her. She was just mesmerizing. And at the end of her speech, she said, here's what I'm doing. I am going to put on a workshop to teach people, women, to be keynote speakers. And I thought, oh, yeah, that would be cool. But it was like a couple thousand bucks or something like that. And I thought, well, I can't afford that. So she came up to me and she said, Cal, what do you think? I said, well, I can't afford it. I, you know, got twins at home and a husband and then. Like, there's no way I can't, I can't afford it. And she said, well, that's no problem. I'll take payments. And Mm. I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, uh-oh. Removing objections. Yeah. And so then she said, but you have to come to Vancouver. And that's about a 12-hour drive from me. And I was like, well, I can't go to Vancouver. I've got the twins, my husband, my daughter. There's no way I can come to Vancouver. I just can't afford it. And I can't afford the time away and blah, blah, blah. And she's like. Well, if you get nine more people that want to learn how to be a speaker here, I'll do it here in your city. And I thought, well, I don't know nine more people that want to be speakers. And I didn't, right? At that time, I wasn't, that wasn't a thing for me. So I didn't know any people that would want to be speakers. 
So at the very end of the day, she stands, one of the other girls stands up and says, Cheryl said that if we can get 10 people that want to be speakers, she'll do it here. We have nine. Who wants to be the 10th person? Wow. <laughs> and I put up my hand, <laughs> walked to the front of the room and said, okay, I will be the 10th person. And of the 10 of us, I'm the only one who became a professional speaker. Incredible. I, yeah. I think there's, there, there's two things here. You know, number one, and, and when I'm in the classroom or I talk on this podcast, it's the, the bad things are really the most significant things that can lead to the most amazing outcomes. It, it really is. And you know, I, I often tell my students, it's like, if I could just hand you a degree and you never have to go to class and just say, here, take the degree yeah. and you're done, you, yeah. what would it mean to you? Would it mean anything? It's the hard things. It's the struggling through the things. It's the difficult challenges that, that, that have the most potential to be the most impactful. And your story is just so right in line with that. And second, just having that person Sometimes we just need that one person that's going to say, yeah, you, you can do this because we get all bogged down personally with our own negative stuff. Yours is all physical or was a lot physical, but there's people that just have been burned down mentally. Maybe, you know, they never had anybody to say a nice, kind word to them or whatever it might be. And that one person. And, you know, for those listening, even though you could be that one person for that one person out there to give them that encouragement that, that kind of sends them off. So that, that's, an, that's incredible right there. So yeah. I love but, that. You're, you're totally right. You know, a lot of people come to me and they, they say, why did this happen to me? And it's like, because maybe you're supposed to help somebody else that's been through it. It's just like. You know, I've been asked to speak to a group of alcoholics about, you know, how to quit drinking. Sure. And I said to him, I said, no, I can't do it. And he goes, well, why? You're an overcomer. And I said, yeah, I'm an overcomer. I don't know how to tell alcoholics how to quit drinking. I don't know about the craving. That would be like me saying to you, why don't you come and speak to a group of burn survivors about what it's like to have a skin graft? Would you be right. able to do it? No. I said, exactly. So... I don't know how to tell people how to quit drinking. I know how to tell them what it's like to live with an alcoholic stepfather, but yeah. I don't know what it's like to, to, you know, go through that. And so that's what I believe our tragedies are, are all about. Our tragedies are our gift. Right. Because our tragedies are meant to help us to learn how to get through life. Right. right. Like me losing a baby. Now I'm able to go talk to any other woman that's lost a baby and say, yes, I get it. I've been right. there. I know right. what that's like. You know, right. it's, some people have had miscarriages and they think, oh, my gosh, you know, I know what you went through. No, you don't. I held my baby. I mm -hmm. held a dead baby. I know what that's like. You right. don't know what that's like. Right. So I'm able to go and help those women who have also going through that exact same thing. Right, right. And so that's why exactly what you're saying. We are meant to go and live through these tragedies and these challenges and obstacles so that we can overcome them and then we can teach the younger generations what we know. Right, 
Right. And, and so the, the burn happened at two and you finally hit this realization that you got the bug, you kind of like, wow, this, <laughs> this is, this is going to be me. And what age were you when you got to that? How many years after the actual event are we talking to, to reach, to get to that spot? You know, it's, it's interesting because people always ask me, what was your turning point? Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever had just one turning point, right? Um, one of my turning points happened when my ex-husband and I, we went to a garage sale and this, this lady, she looks at me and she says, they couldn't do better than that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, uh. really? Like, if you only knew what I've been through, right? Like, if you only knew that I got burnt at two, that I've had probably 50 surgeries in my life. I spent probably, I think I figured out I spent a year and a half of my life in the hospital. Like, if you only knew what I've done to try and get to this. Right. I happen to think I look pretty damn good. Yes. Yeah. And I turned around and I walked away. I didn't even give her a chance to respond. I was so hurt. I was so upset. I was in my 40s when this happened. Wow. And I said, I said, my husband said to me, he says, you know, Cal, she didn't mean it that way. And I said, she meant it how she said it. And eventually I got to a point where I said to myself, why am I letting a complete stranger take my power away? Sure. I'm never going to see her ever again. And yet I'm letting this stranger make me feel ugly i said not once have my kids or my family or my friends ever said to me mom or cal i would love you more if you were scarlet not once so the people in my life who matter the most to me have never told me i need to be scarlet in order to be loved and yet i'm letting a stranger take my power away right Right. And that was one of my turning points where I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with strangers making me feel ugly because I'm not beautiful enough for them. Right. And so what I did is I went into the bathroom. I made sure that nobody was home. I locked the door, locked the bathroom door. And I said, that's it. I'm going to give myself permission to love myself. And normally when I would look in the mirror, I would, you know how they say you just have to have affirmations and you just right. say them a million times and eventually you'll believe them. Right. So every time I would say, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful. My ego would say, no, you're not. You're not flawless. You got scars on your body. You are not a beautiful woman. Beautiful women are flawless. That was the, the, that was you know, the cycle the, that was, that was what was repeating yeah. in your brain. Yeah. That's what my ego would say. Well, this time, when I went in the mirror, instead of saying, I am beautiful, I said, I happen to love my big, beautiful green eyes. And that voice didn't say anything. And it's true. I believe I have big, beautiful green eyes. So then I looked at my nose. I turned to the side, looked at my cute little nose. And I said, I happen to love my cute little nose. And again, my ego didn't say anything. Because again, I believe it. And then I looked at my ear (coughs) and my ear is deformed. It's not, you know, it's not a very pretty ear. And I said, you know what? I happen to love my cute little ear. 
It makes me special. It makes me different. And it makes me unique. And at one point, I was going to get a new ear made. And they were going to, what they would do is they were going to take off this ear. So they would cut it off. They would make a mold out of this ear. Then they'd have to put titanium screws into this, my skull. And then I'd have a snap-on ear. Mm. And I thought, why am I doing this? Is it just so that other people looking at me are more comfortable? Or is it really going to make me feel beautiful? Right. It wasn't going to improve my hearing. It wasn't going to make me hear better, which is what I really need a new ear for so I can hear better. Right. And I thought, huh, I'm only doing this so people looking at me can feel better about me. Mm. And I thought, that's not happening. I don't care if people looking at me think I'm beautiful or not. It does not matter to me anymore. And so I looked in the mirror one more time. This time I had my favorite jeans on. I turned around, I looked at my butt and I said, you know what? I happen to love my cute little hot ass. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, you know, and I wasn't bragging about myself. That's not what this was all about. Right. I was learning to embrace myself. I was learning to embrace who I am and learning to embrace all the great things about me. Because so many times when we look in the mirror, the first thing we see is or say to ourselves is yuck. Oh, definitely. We we tend to find the the things that we screw up at and we fixate on those things and what we don't. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. And that's what we focus on. We focus on everything we hate about ourselves instead Mm -hmm. of focusing on what we love about ourselves. And so that's what I had to do is the next time I looked in the mirror, I saw all the things I loved about me and the scars faded away. And so that's why I try to encourage people when you go in the mirror, don't judge yourself first thing in the morning because you're not feeling your best in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) You're just breaking up and you probably had a crazy dream and your hair is all over the place. Well, I know you don't have that problem, David, but some of us have crazy hair mornings. (laughs) No, that that wouldn't be one thing I definitely don't have to worry about is crazy hair mornings. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) So, yeah. And so when I stopped judging myself and started picking out the things I loved about me, that was when I started to love who I was. Incredible. So how long did that take? I mean, one morning you did it, but I mean, did you feel the change like or did you continue to struggle up? I mean, you know, you you hear of stories of miraculous change. Was it like that, that literally that day made the, the difference? Yeah, there was definitely a difference. I still have to maintain it. Sure. It's not like it's just a switch. Okay, ugly, beautiful, right? It's not a switch. Yeah. Right? There's still moments when I'm like, oh, you know, where I just maybe don't feel as beautiful as before, but, or maybe I'm struggling through something in life and right. that's making me feel ugly. And so a lot of times we need to deal with those inner things that we're struggling. It's not, it's not the outside. A lot of times it's the inner stuff. Like a lot of times what happened is, you know, people are, are gambling or they're cheating on their spouse or they're lying at work or they're making mistakes or, you Mm -hmm. know, they're doing all that kind of stuff. And that is the stuff that destroys people more than their looks. Right. 
Right. And so I think a lot of times it, that is the inner beauty part that people need to struggle. Like they need to solve that stuff. And when you solve all of that stuff, that is when you can then look at the mirror and say, okay, I love myself because I'm being truthful to myself. When, when I was going through my divorce or deciding if I was going to, you know, end my marriage, I would look in the mirror. And the reason I didn't like myself was because I was lying. I was lying to myself about my marriage. I was lying to myself about my job. I hated my job. I wanted to be a speaker full time. I hated being married. I wasn't in love with my husband. And right. the only reason I was with him is because I had the guilt of my kids. Mm-hmm. My mom sent me this nasty email saying, don't leave. If you leave, you're going to hurt your kids. And, you know, you can you can make it 10 more years and it'll fly by. And I'm like, what? I have to wait till I'm 54 before I get to be. <laughs> like, I know I'm not happy. I know I'm not in love with the man. And our marriage was toxic. It wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. And so that was why I was hating myself was because I was lying to myself. So when I finally admitted the truth was that I wanted out of my marriage and I wanted out of my job, that's when it happened. And so I still remember saying to my husband, I think it's time, it's over. We were we were together for 24 years. And um, long time. He, yeah. And he said to me, well, you can only leave if you give me the house and the kids. And I was like, okay, mm. okay. Mm. And I didn't want the house because I couldn't afford it. The kids, well, we made arrangements so I could still see my kids every day. Sure. I I was there every morning getting them off to school while he went to work. I was there when he came home. Right. And, you know, so I still got to see my kids every day. Uh, but so here's the fascinating thing. I left in March and then in June, my no, July, my boss calls me into the office. And I just had the worst performance review in my life. <laughs> the worst. And Those my boss, <laughs> yeah, and my boss asked me one question. She says to me, Kelly, are you going to be excited to come to work on Monday or relieved if you don't have to? And that question hit me right here to my core. Oh I was my. like, oh no, oh no. And I was already speaking. I had left my marriage. And I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do? Yeah, head spinning of cash versus uh, versus doing what you wanted to immediately. Yeah, yeah and, and I had just left my marriage four months earlier. And then I was like, so I didn't have him to support me financially or emotionally or anything like that, right? right. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to be able to afford to live without my job? And now my speaking business actually has to make me money. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, so I went home that night and I'm reading this Christian businesswoman's magazine and every second page says, follow your passion full time, mm-hmm. follow your passion full time, follow your passion full time. And I got to the middle and in big black letters, it says, why do you not trust that God will provide you everything you need? Oh. I slammed it shut. I was so mad. I was like fuming. I was like, oh, I know. I know you want me to be a speaker full time. I know that. But I just left my marriage for four months ago. Just give me three more months to pay off my, all my bills. 
I will be a speaker full time. And I heard that little voice say to me one more time, are you gonna be excited to come to work on Monday or relieved if you don't have to? And I went into work the next morning, packed up my office, sent my boss an email and said, you are right, today's my last day. And I went home. Incredible. And that was, uh, and then four months later after that, I wrote my second book and made it into a best-selling book. And I won the Queen Elizabeth Diamond Jubilee Medal. I won the Fierce Woman of the Year Award, uh, the YWCA Woman of the Sanction Award. Um, all of these incredible things started to happen when I finally put myself first and followed my passion and decided to quit lying to myself and become the person I wanted to be. That's incredible. I, you know, not everybody who listens may be religious, but this is like a but God moment here, it seems to me. This this was lined up from the age of two to 14 when you first spoke <laughs> through 18 in the hypnosis and you need to keep pushing and living all the way through your mentor to your boss literally firing. It almost seems like the universe was conspiring for you to do what yeah. What yeah, I really felt like, um, you know, I've had some two by four moments, you know, sure. you know, when you get hit over the head with a two by four. Right. And it's like, like, wake up and smell the coffee. Right. Like, that's what that moment was when my boss said that to me, to me. And um, <clears throat> I've thanked her many times. Um, I really felt like she was the mother bird pushing the baby bird out of the nest. Right. And, you know, the baby bird never hits the ground. The baby bird might go down a bit, but she always comes back up and flies higher than ever. That's and so that's how I felt that story was for me, was, you know, she was pushing me out of the nest. She she was in tears herself. She knew that she needed to do what she needed to do. And um, I've never, ever regretted her doing that. You know, I, I've still had ups and downs in the past 10 years, but uh, that was my two by, two by four moment where it's like, look, you need to do this. Right. Like this is going to be your life. Kelly, could you put on your coaching hat for just a minute for somebody who might be listening here who's kind of in a really dark spot and you may not even know, obviously you would know what some of these people listening may be going through, but, but what would you say? I mean, you've obviously been in some really dark spots and, and how, what do you think is a, fir- a practical first, if you were just coaching somebody that's going through a really dark time, I mean, what, what would you say to someone like that who, who maybe needs those, those words of encouragement or, or steps to go through? Oh my God, there's so many things I could say. And <laughs> the first thing I'd love to say is for them to reach out to somebody who they honestly trust that has their back. You know, like so many times we listen to people and they're the wrong people for us to listen to, right? Um, All of us have those people who are negative, who don't support us, who don't have our best interests at heart. Um, And then we have those people that are empowering, that are like, come on, like you can do this. They're our biggest cheerleaders and they're the ones that, you know, they, they have more belief in ourselves than we have in ourselves. Right. Right. And reach out to those people, those people who you just can't get enough of and and listen to them. You know, um, that's been a big thing for me. Like when my husband said to me, you can't be a speaker. 
I found a mentor and he says to me, he said, Cal, um, I charge normally $20,000 to coach <clears throat> with me. Um, but I have to answer to the big man upstairs. And he's going to say to me, you wouldn't help that girl because she doesn't have any money to give you. He says, I want to help you because I know you've got a big message. And so, you know, my other thing too is, is make sure you're doing stuff you love. Like a lot of times the reason we're in that dark space is because we're not doing the things we love. We're doing things we hate and we're doing it because our parents want us to do it or our grandparents or, you know, and, and you wonder why we're not getting anywhere in life. And it's because we're doing things we hate. But when right. we do things we love, we have passion and excitement and we're feeling empowered. And then you just go after that. Like, I love painting. And, you know, when I'm not feeling inspired to paint, well, I go and I watch my, my favorite painters. And all of a sudden that puts me in that direction that I'm inspired to paint. Right. right. Um, right. I also had this one coach and I'll never forget this. This was probably about eight years ago. And I, I had a crash. So I had an emotional breakdown. My, my husband started the divorce proceedings. I could only see my kids every two weeks um, for one week at a time. Right. We did one week on one week off. Um, I lost all my money. I had no speaking gigs coming up. I got into a car accident. My friend committed suicide. Everything happened in about a two to three month period. And I remember, I remember sitting at the end of my bed and I had my iPad and I was Googling about how to end my life. Oh gosh. And I had three conditions. One was my kids couldn't be the ones to find me. It had to be final. And the third thing was, um, what was the third thing? Oh, it had to be painless. It had to be painless. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to feel any more pain than I've already feeling. Right. And I started to think about my family. I started to think about my mom. My mom probably would have ended her life too. Because my mom is my biggest supporter, even even when she's being cranky to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know she 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 would have felt guilty she would have blamed herself my sister would have said to herself why didn't she just come to me i would have given her all the money she needed right my kids right. would have blamed themselves my ex-husband probably would have blamed himself everybody would have been blaming themselves and i thought I, there has to be a way and so what happened is I ended up meeting a girl eventually that coached me. And she also charges $20,000 to coach. Mm -hmm. It's funny how I have these $20,000 coaches <laughs> <laughs> that want to mentor me. So she said, look, I'm going to help you. And she coached me for three months. Every, every, it was like two to three days a week for an hour a day. She would coach me. And she says to me, Kelly, why don't you value yourself? And I said, what do you mean value? I value myself. I'm a speaker. I go to schools and I teach people, the kids about my story and how to love who they are and self-esteem. And then, you know, I go to women's events and I teach them about self-esteem and self-love. So I don't know what you're talking about. I value myself, right? Like my ego is, is talking really upset. Right. right. Goes, no, I don't think you value yourself because you're not making the money you want to make. Mm. Like, oh, another one of those right to the core, right? 
Mm-hmm. And she said, um, and, and she was right. I had set a goal to make, make a six figure income and I still hadn't met that goal. Right. And in my family, in my siblings, I'm the only one who's not a millionaire. Mm-hmm. And I'm the oldest. So I believe I should be the strongest. I should be, you know, sure. I should be looking after my siblings. My siblings shouldn't be looking after me. I should be looking after them. Right. So she said, don't call me back until you know what value is. And I was like, what is value? And I started to think about all the things I've done in my life. I started to think about how my book, No Risk, No Rewards, is in Africa. And it's teaching young girls how to have self-esteem. Incredible. Um, When I went to Africa the one time, they were doing this event for 150 teenagers. And they are chanting, I am me, the best me I can be. I am me, the best me I can be. I am me, the best me I can be. And I'm looking at them like, what is going on? And I see the leader and she's reading this out of my book. I am me, the best me I can be. And I was like, oh my God. Like how many people can say that their book is being used in Africa to help teenage girls? That must have been just an indescribable feeling. Right. And so I wrote that down on my list, right? So then I wrote down about how I reconnected one of my old high school friends with his family. Uh, he 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 was an alcoholic, and his family told him, "Don't come back unless you're sober." So 24 years later, he moved down to Florida. Well, he moved down to Florida, and 24 years later, I'm looking for him to bring him back to our high school reunion. And he tells me the story of what his family told him. They had no idea he was alive. They thought he was dead. And so I reconnected him with his family and they thanked me because they thought their son was dead. And so I wrote that down. And then I wrote down about how another friend of mine, I taught him how to become a best-selling author. And um, he was now, you know, at the other end of Canada, teaching people how to write books and become best-selling authors. And, you know, he told me all about how he did that. And I thought, oh, my God, think about the ripple effect of how all these people are writing their books and getting their stories out there. How incredible. I I helped him, which helped all these other people. And I wrote that down. And I had a whole bunch of stuff written down. And I wrote it down in third person. And in the morning, I read it. And I said to myself, who is this chick? I've got to know her. <laughs> right, right. And I emailed it to my coach. And she said, I think you finally get it. Your value is not in how much money you make or don't make. Your value is in your acts of service. It's in all the things you do to make an impact for other people. And that was when I realized that it did not matter whether I was making a million dollars or a thousand dollars. It only mattered that I was getting my message out there and helping people to love who they are. And so when I started to realize what my value was, that was when my life truly changed for the better. And so I encourage all of your students and and the audience, write down your value, write down the things you're doing to help other people. Maybe you're babysitting someone else's kids so that they can go to work and make money and then they can put a roof over the kid's head. That is value, right? So... It doesn't matter whether you're making $15 an hour or $500 an hour. 
you are a valuable person. Incredible. And, and I think that is an awesome spot to stop. That's like a drop the mic uh, moment there. I, that's, that's amazing. And so Kelly, tell us, is there, so anybody who wants to follow you or buy a book from you or where, where should they, where should, where should they, they go, go to, to, okay. to connect with you more? <laughs> well, definitely all my books are on Amazon. Uh, they can also go to my website, which is kellypilardo.com. And that's K-E-L-L-Y, F as in Frank, A-L-A-R-D as in dog, E-A-U.com. Or um, if they want to learn how to write a book and become a best-selling author, then they can go to my other website, which is sevenstepsauthor.com. And there they can download actually a free blueprint on how to publish a book in seven easy steps. And mm -hmm. or they can also book a 30 minute free call with me and then we can talk more about their dreams and goals and where they want to go. And it won't cost twenty thousand dollars? No. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, just I want to say as we wrap up, I so appreciate your message. There's so much negativity out there. So much negativity. And it's just so vital that we have people like yourself that are out there putting messages about overcoming stuff and how, how, what it takes and, and not blaming other people or other things or other, just, just working at it because there is a purpose there, there, there is, and, is. and it's whatever anybody's at there, there's something better. There's something more. And, and your message just nails that to a T. So Kelly, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me. You know, right. and, and you're totally right. Like people have challenges and they think their life is over, but it's not. We need Perfect. to learn, we need to go through these challenges so we can teach other people so they can get through their life easier. Absolutely. All right. Great. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I so hope you found value in the topic today. You know, Every single day, if we can expand our perspective just a little bit on any range of topic, whether it be about our physical body, intellectual sharpness and perspective, or spiritual growth, then if we stay consistent in the long run, we all become more well-rounded people able to cope with all manner of events in life. I always appreciate you clicking like or follow to this podcast generally a new episode is published every single week and please if you have any questions or comments i would love to hear about them with that i hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week until we talk again